Amen. Go ahead and be seated and take those Bibles and let's open them up to Romans chapter 7. Carol, it is so great to see you here this morning. Amen. You are such an encouragement. Thank you so much. Bible's open. Romans chapter 7. The second half of chapter 7 is one of the most difficult passages in the entire letter. This section contains a rare picture of the life of Paul as he struggles to please God and to be conformed into the glorious image of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I realize that this section can be extremely confusing to follow and to understand. Therefore, this morning, I'd like to do this just a little bit differently. What I want to do is read through the entire passage one time. Then I'm going to go back and just highlight some of the the things uh, in these uh, verses. I'm not spending a lot of time there, just trying to highlight some of the truths that are there to provide a little bit of clarity, hopefully. And then I'd like to wrap up our time together by sharing an illustration that I believe ties it all beautifully together. So uh, follow along with me, if you will, beginning in verse number 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, let's back up to verse number 14, the very beginning of this section. And he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage. He starts off by saying the law is spiritual. Let me help you understand what he's trying to say. The law is spiritual in that it was given to man through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit is the source of the law. The law is spiritual in that it was given to man by His Spirit and 
the law is spiritual in that it reveals the nature of God. The law is spiritual because it describes the will of God. So the nature reveals both the mind and the nature of our God. In contrast to the law, Paul says that he is of flesh. That term flesh comes from a Greek word, uh, sarkinos. That word means to be made of flesh, to consist of flesh, to be made of flesh and bone. And so it's important to note that Paul does not say that he is still in the flesh. He says that he is still of the flesh. There's a big distinction between the two. He's already said back in verse number 5 that believers are no longer in the flesh. They're no longer enslaved to sin as they once were. And so the idea is that although believers are no longer in the flesh, the reality is the flesh is still in us. And so, when Paul says that he's sold under sin, he's simply saying that as a, a creature of a bones, flesh, and blood, that as being of flesh, that he is still capable of sinning. He's still under sin's influence. He's still guilty of sin. He still cannot keep from sinning, at least not perfectly. He still cannot erase sin's presence in his life, at least not completely. Being sold under sin means that he still cannot get rid of sin in his life, at least not permanently. And so our nature is of flesh, but the law's nature is spiritual. So it is impossible for me to perfectly obey the law of God. Because I have a a, a sin nature that remains, that seeks to resist and rebel against that law. Even when I think that I've done good, I know that evil is present and trying to manifest itself in and through my life. Uh, So Paul is saying that even in this redeemed state that he is, as a child of God, to some degree, he is still a creature of the flesh. And he elaborates upon this. Here's the part that can sometimes begin to get a little bit cloudy or confusing. In verse number 15, he says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. And so Paul gives evidence that sin was still in him, By admitting that what I am doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do. Look at those three statements in that one verse, right? He starts off with, what I am doing, I do not understand. Paul finds himself doing things that he cannot understand. Why it is that he's returned to it. And why it is that he keeps on doing them. He fights and he struggles against sin. But before he knows it, He's done it again. Anybody relate to that? Not only that, he says, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do. So Paul's saying that he wants to do right. 
He, he wants to please God in his living. He wants to be conformed into the image of his Lord and Savior. He wants to become all that God has created him to be. But despite his desire and despite his expectations, before he knew it, he found himself sinning again. Anybody relate to that? Then that third thing. He says, when I'm doing the very thing I hate. Paul hated sin. Paul hated the idea of falling short of the glory of God. He hated everything that went against the heart of God. Yet, despite his hatred for sin, why does he do it? Because in that moment, he doesn't hate it. (laughs) In that moment, he, he no longer despises sin. He desires it and desires and chases the thing that he once despised. If we were to admit, by raising our hands, and I won't ask you to do that, but how many of you love sin? How many of you love displeasing God the Father? How many of you love the idea of falling short of His glory? I doubt anybody would be honest enough. I doubt any child of God would be honest enough to raise their hand. So why do we do it? Why do we keep returning to it? Because in that moment... We, we've taken our, our hearts and our minds off the things that we hate and we begin to embrace it. No matter how much Paul hated sin, no matter how much he struggled against sin, he still found himself returning to that table of temptation and feasting upon all that it had to offer. And if we're honest, that's what we do. And so verse 16, he says, But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. What he's saying can be very complex, and I'll try to simplify. The very fact that he has desire not to do it really indicates at least there's a part of him that agrees that the law of God is good. The very hatred that he has in his heart towards sin is a testimony of the goodness of God's law. So Paul said, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good, or that the law is beautiful, the law is noble, excellent. And so because of this, Paul makes this statement in verse number 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now, this does not mean that that Paul is avoiding personal responsibility for his actions, for his sin. No, what he's speaking of is the conflict that exists between his desire and the sin within him. There's this tension, his desire to honor and please God, and also the sin that remains within him. In verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. And Paul knows that something good dwells within him. Paul knows that as a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells within him. Paul knows that he has a a new nature that dwells within him. 
but, but there is nothing good that dwells within him. He says, then he clarifies. He says that there's nothing good that dwells in me. That is in my flesh. There is nothing good that dwells or remains within our sin nature. Verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not want. Again, he's repeating the struggle that he's facing in which all of us face the same struggle in our lives. He says, but if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Again, make no mistake, Paul is not denying personal responsibility for his actions. What he's trying to communicate is that there is a conflict that exists within him. There's this conflict that exists within the real Paul, the the Paul who's being sanctified by the Holy Spirit into the likeness of his Savior. There's this conflict that exists between that real Paul and with that pre-salvific Paul prior to salvation, that Paul that, that stood as an enemy of God. He's saying that there's this conflict that exists between him. For I joyfully concur, verse 22, with the law of God in the inner man. This verse right here convinces me that Paul is speaking personally about his present condition. Many uh, theologians will will look at this section with with different ideas and different concepts, but I believe that Paul is speaking a true testimony of what he is experiencing and what he's dealing with in, in his own life. And this verse convinces me of that reality. Why? Because there's not a single non-believer that has ever lived or that will ever live that can say that they joyfully concur with the law of God. No. That statement can only be made by someone who has been born again. In verse 23, he says, But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Paul is not complaining that his salvation is in some way imperfect. He's not trying to say that his salvation was in any way deficient of something. Let me be as clear as I possibly can. From the moment that someone believes in the Savior, repents and is as a child of God, from that very moment, that believer is completely acceptable by God and ready to meet Him. And it has nothing to do with what they've done on their own. It has everything to do of what Christ has done on their behalf. Christ is the one that made us acceptable unto the Father. And so, as long as we remain in this body of flesh and blood, we're going to remain subjected to temptation and sin. That's why he says in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? The question of who will set me free carries with it the basic idea of being rescued from danger. 
It was a term that would often be used to describe uh, like one soldier going to the rescue and the aid of a wounded soldier and carrying them to safety. Look at the phrase. He says, who will set me free from the body of this death? And I believe that Paul is using a very vivid illustration, one that he borrowed from the ancient world. Personally, I find it very interesting that near Tarsus, where, where Paul was born, his hometown, near that place, there was an ancient tribe that had a particularly disturbing form of capital punishment. When someone would be convicted of murder, this tribe would take the deceased body that had been slain, right? And they would securely fasten it to the body of the murderer. So, so this murderer, upon conviction, would have to carry around everywhere they went at all times the body of the deceased and whom they killed. It would only take a matter of time, a few weeks or days, where that diseased and decaying body would uh, inflict a disease upon the murderer, and that murderer would ultimately die as a result of carrying around that deceased body. I mean, can you imagine something as horrible as having to walk around with a dead body strapped to your back? I think Paul has such torture in mind when, when he describes his desire to be set free from the body of this death. That, that this old nature, what Paul longed for was the day when he would be rescued wholly and completely from the last remnants of that old sinful nature that was constantly tormenting him. And without hesitation, he, he testifies to the certainty of his eventual rescue. He gives thanks and praise to his Lord, even before he's completely set free. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul's primary emphasis in this section is not upon our eventual deliverance from sin's presence. No, his emphasis is on the conflict with sin that remains within the lives of believers. He ends this section by summarizing the, the, the sides of this struggle. And that's why he says, So then, uh, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul is articulating something that is very common among all of God's children. We are creatures with mixed desires. We are never left with only one desire working in our hearts and in our minds. We are faced with several choices, several desires that are coexisting in our hearts at any given moment. So while we can rightfully have a desire to honor God and to please God and to live for His glory, when faced with temptation, what often happens is 
we take our focus off of the desire to honor God and we begin to place it on the desire to pursue what we think is going to be pleasurable in that moment. And there is this conflict that will exist and remain within all of our lives until the day when we are either resurrected to meet our Savior or we die and enter into his presence. We cannot escape that conflict. And so in in looking over this text and and studying through that this past week, I came across this beautiful illustration that I thought wonderfully captures the, the essence of what's being taught here. And the illustration comes from John MacArthur, and, and this is what he said. He said that in this life, Christians are, are somewhat like an unskilled artist. An unskilled artist who, who beholds a beautiful scene that he wants to paint. But the unskilled artist's lack of talent prevents him from being able to do justice to the painting. And so the fault is not in the scene in which he painted or the scene in which he beheld. The fault is not in the canvas that he painted upon. The fault isn't within the brushes that he used or the paints that he used. No, the, the fault was, lies within the unskilled artist. And so what we need to do is that we need to ask the master painter. We need to ask Jesus to take his hand and place it upon our hands. And, and to take his hand and make us paint the strokes that on our own we would never be able to accomplish. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. And so the only way that we can live victoriously in this world for the glory of God is by walking by the Spirit of God and in the the power of His Spirit. We have to walk by the Spirit and walk in the power of the Spirit. Those that are in Christ, may you know that the moment of your salvation, you have been set free free from the penalty of sin. That, that's, that, that's, we've been released from the judgment of sin. Those that are in Christ, not only have you been set free from the penalty of sin, you are being set free from the practice of sin. That's that, that, that working of sanctification in our life. The, working, the more that we submit ourselves to the Spirit and walk in obedience to the Word of God, the, the, the less we are to practice sin and the more we are to begin to display the character of our Savior in our lives. But while we're still of the flesh, may you know that we are not free from the presence of sin. We are not immune from the temptation to sin nor have we been completely set free at this moment from the possibility of sin. So as long as we live in this world, we will face a constant tension in our lives. There is a constant conflict that exists between our new spiritual life and that old sinful nature. No longer... Are we slaves of sin? No, we have a new master. We're no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of righteousness. 
So, so away with that evil master and behold a new master. And, and so while we may be slaves of a new master, may we never forget that we still live in enemy territory. Sin's no longer our master. But sin is a powerful adversary. If we don't take sin seriously, then we are prone to fall into it again and again and again. Likewise, if we don't take our victory seriously, then we will fail to utilize the help that has been provided to us as children of God through the Spirit of God. And so that's where we pick up with next week in chapter 8. Beginning in, beginning in chapter 8, Paul is going to explain the, the work of the, the Holy Spirit in overcoming the bad in our lives and helping us to produce good fruit in our lives. But, but it's all as we s- submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're able to walk in faithfulness unto God. So, so here's the point this morning, right? If you're not a child of God, then you're in desperate need of the Holy Spirit intervening in your life and bringing salvation into your soul. May you submit to the Savior today. Surrender your life unto the Lord. Confess your sins and repent. And for the children of God in this room, may you recognize the battle that exists within you. It'll remain. I mean, that's bad news and good news. I mean, we would love for it to just to be completely eradicated from our lives and no longer would we have any desire to sin, any desire to give in to temptation. But we're not there yet. We're still of flesh. We're, we're still made of flesh and bone. We still have remnants of this old sinful nature. Therefore, we have to live with the awareness that sin is serious. It is real. It is a problem. We are in an enemy territory. Take it seriously. Understand the victory that's been provided to us in and through the Holy Spirit. Don't give up. Don't give up. Know that if you will confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he does that all for his glory. May we understand that today. May we embrace that with our lives. May we confess our sins when needed. May we wake up each and every day with a heartfelt desire to do all that we can for the honor and the glory of our God. At the end of the day, may we reflect, reflect back upon that day and do an honest assessment of what we've done, the mistakes that we've made, the, the opportunities that we failed to seize. May we confess those, repent from those, and thank God for a beautiful night of rest so that we can get up another morning with new mercies extended unto us to give it another shot. All for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love.
Thank you for your patience with us. God, thank you for the spirit that you give to us. We continue to journey through the book of Romans, Father. I pray that we would be greatly encouraged. Help us to understand our struggle against sin. Help us to behold the the beautiful blessing in our life of the Holy Spirit. And God, may we submit ourselves unto you every single day. May your spirit make known unto all of us in this room right here, right now, the things that are in our lives that are a holy offense unto you. May we have the courage and the conviction to repent from those things. Any decisions that need to be made in this place today, Father, it's decisions for baptisms, whether it's decisions to, to submit and surrender our lives to the Savior, whether it's church membership, whatever it is, Father, may you make known unto all of us what you desire from us. Help us to walk in faithful obedience to you. And may you be pleased in this time of response. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.